Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Lifestyle Mastery and I'm excited to have Vanessa Van Edwards, who's a lead investigator at Science of People. She's a best-selling author of Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People, which has been translated into 16 languages. Um, more than 50 million people have watched her engaging YouTube tutorials and TEDx talk. Vanessa's mission is to help introverts leverage their strengths, show high achievers how to act with their secret skills and teach awkward people to feel more confident. Uh, she's just launched her new book, Cues, uh, which got launched on March 1st, 2022. Uh, Vanessa lives in Austin with her daughter and husband of 10 years. Welcome to the show, Vanessa. Oh, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. So, you know, you, you've uh, written a book, uh, Captivate. Uh, uh, I've been a, a fan of your book. Uh, what, what made you write a new book, uh, which is cute? <laughs> you know, the first book, I felt like that was my only shot in the world. You know, I thought, okay, like if I, I, I got this opportunity to write a book. This is my only shot. I'm going to put as everything I can into this book because it's my only shot. And so Captivate comes out. I thought, you know, if, if I can find other recovering awkward people, I'm a recovering awkward person. So I was really writing to all the awkward people out there who are super smart and creative and talented, but they just struggle a little bit with conversation, a little bit with first impressions. Maybe they're not so uh, great with communication. So it's like, great. If I can find, you know, a couple hundred people to write, to read this book, I'll be so happy. And little did I know that actually many of us, most of us even feel this sense of awkwardness, even in our day-to-day interactions and conversations. And so Captivate ended up being a massive success and shocked me when my publisher said, do you want to write another? And I was like, I have nothing left to say. (laughs) And then I wondered, there's actually a, a set of science that I had been working on myself for about 17 years, 17 years ago. I started a little folder on my desktop called Curious Cues. Now, little did I know that this would turn into a book later, but this was just a a folder where I started noticing very interesting cues in both good and bad settings. So on the one hand, I was noticing that there was very highly charismatic people, business leaders, politicians, athletes, celebrities, that it didn't matter their talent or their specialty. They seemed to be using the same set of cues. On the other hand, I was noticing that bad actors, lying athletes, duping politicians were also using this very unique set of negative cues in shame and fear and guilt. And I wondered, is there a way to code these? Could I study cues like I study for a foreign language with flashcards and formulas and we could actually apply them like a language? That was where this book started. And when I got that opportunity to write the second book, I thought, what's the one thing that I use all the time that I haven't been able to share? And so cues is a glossary of the 96 cues we use that, that helping us put a name to that language. Interesting. And, uh, and you know, you mentioned that, uh, that there are a lot of awkward people, but how, how can anyone become charismatic? Can anyone become charismatic or is, is it something, you know, which people have built off? So I, I used to believe that it was innate. You were either born with charisma or you weren't. There was no way that you could learn it. Thank goodness. And this is why we are talking right now. Thank goodness anyone can learn charisma. 
charisma is actually a very unique trait that can be cultivated. And there are people who are born charismatic, but most very charismatic people have cultivated uh, their sense of charisma, their flavor, their cues. And I really believe that charisma can come in multiple flavors. That um, the reason why we love, you know, sometimes the bubbly extrovert life of the party, but also charisma can come for introverts too. It doesn't have to be that you have to be extroverted to be charismatic. And yes, you can learn it. Thank goodness. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's a great point because I'm I'm an introvert. You know, what advice would you give to an introvert like me uh, on how to be more charismatic? So, first of all, if you're an introvert, there is hope. You do not have to fake being an extrovert to, or fake being outgoing to be taken seriously or to be charismatic. That is the one of the bigger myths about charisma. The reason for that myth, by the way, and I'm, I'm by the way, not an extrovert. I'm an ambivert. So I'm somewhere in between the two is that most people, skills and communication books and courses are taught by extroverts. So that leaves introverts feeling like what's wrong with me, right? Like, and the extroverted teacher who naturally has social energy and naturally is drawn to people, they give tips assuming that everyone is extroverted like them. And so I think it's really important that I, and when I was setting out to write these, both of these books, I wanted to make sure that I was coming at it from an introverted perspective, that if you're not naturally drawn to people, how do you still be charismatic? So the very first thing is charisma is a formula. Researchers from Princeton University found that very highly charismatic people, what makes them charismatic is they rank high in two traits, warmth and competence. And these are the two traits that make us drawn to people, that draw us to people, that cause us to be magnetic. Why? Warmth is friendliness, likability, openness, and competence is capability, power, efficiency. We love people, and they're so rare to have this perfect balance of warmth and competence. We like people who we can both respect and admire, who we both want to hang out with and grab a drink with, but also want to get stuff done with. And so the way that introverts can cultivate their charisma is forget being outgoing or extroverted. What I actually want you to focus on is how can you cultivate your warmth and competence? Those two traits are superpowers. Interesting. And, uh, you, you know, you talk to a warmth and confidence. Do you, do you think, uh, is there any celebrity or billionaire who you think has both, uh, both the, you know, uh, skills, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, there's many. Actually, I think that the most successful people we see, the reason they are successful is they are balanced. So actually, I think that celebrities and even some politicians are above average charismatic because that's what got them there. So like Oprah is a great example of someone who's like you you like her. People open up to her like, wait, if you think about the Oprah Winfrey show. She had guests who would come onto her stage and to spill their hearts out, tell their entire life story because she's exhibiting high warmth, high trust. She created a safe space. At the very same time, here's Oprah giving sage advice, wisdom, taking over, uh, creating an empire, uh, getting into everyone's homes, creating a massively successful TV show. So she's a very good example of someone who literally gets someone to spill their life stories, but also is able to build a massive business empire. And I, I don't know about you. I would love to talk to Oprah about both. Like, I want to talk to her about our business, but I also want to share my life story to her. That's how you know that someone is that sweet spot of both is you're dying to tell them everything, but you also want all their knowledge and advice. Interesting. And, uh, you know, what's the biggest mistake people take make when, you know, they're trying to be taken more seriously? Yes. So this is the 
biggest mistake that people make, specifically with your question, when people are trying to be taken seriously. And this is the under signal. So there is this pervasive myth in people skills and in cues that if you under signal, if you become stoic, unreadable, you don't show any emotions, that makes you look impressive or powerful. The problem is, is that as humans, we are desperately looking for cues. And that is because we are looking for others' cues to inform what we should do and how we should behave. So if we're in a room with someone and they are under signaling, they are not showing warmth nor competence, it actually creates a lot of confusion for other people. A lot of people who under signal are told they're cold, intimidating, hard to talk to. People might see those people as impressive only because they're so distant and so far away, but most of the time they see them as intimidating. And so the biggest mistake that we make is we might not be sure. And I see this a lot with brilliant introverts. So this is a lot with highly technical entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs who are inventors, who are uh, software coders or engineers or programmers who are brilliant. They think I have great ideas. I have great book smarts. I'm going to let my ideas speak for themselves. I don't need to worry about the communication part, the socialist part. My ideas are so good. They're going to speak for themselves. And this is the problem that we make. People literally cannot believe your ideas if they are not packaged in warmth and competence. The metaphor that I want my highly smart people to think about, and this is most of my students are high achieving, absolutely brilliant, slightly awkward people, right? Like that's most of my students. This is who I, I love spending my whole day with them. I tell them this, which is, I want you to think of your ideas or like a car, right? And what, what happens is with really smart people, we work on getting the best ideas. We start off, you know, with a kind of uh, baseline car or really cheap car. And then as we grow and get older, we, you know, get the fancy car, the, the, the rims, then we deck out our car. So like we have these great ideas. Cues are the gasoline or the electricity, depending on if you have an electric car. That if you do not have the right warmth and competence, you literally cannot get your ideas to move. People won't buy them. They won't adopt them. They can't swallow them. They can't take them in. That is because it does not matter how good the idea is. If we don't have warmth and confidence, we don't believe it. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. Interesting. And, uh, and you know, I've, I've been into sales and business development partnerships. You know, uh, what what uh, vocal cues uh, should I use in order to sound more persuasive and confident uh, in my okay. world? My favorite, favorite conver- topic of conversation. So in our lab, we do a lot of really uh, unique research. And I love looking specifically at like pitching and persuasiveness for entrepreneurs. So one experiment we did is we, you know, the show Shark Tank, uh, which is a show for entrepreneurs. So uh, we analyzed 495 Shark Tank pitches. So we literally coded every single, every single cue we could think of for these pitches from hand gestures to smiling, to verbal content, to jokes, to eye contact. I mean, everything we could think of looking for patterns, because if you make it to Shark Tank, your idea is already good. The question is, why do some ideas take off and every shark wants to take a bite and others are like, "Eh, no one's that into it. Hmm. So when we studied these pitches, the first pitch that completely change the way that I think about how we pitch, not just what we pitch, is Jamie Siminoff. 
Jamie Simonoff is the founder of Ring. So Ring is a billion-dollar company. It's on millions of doorbells around the world. It was acquired by Amazon for over a billion dollars. What most people don't remember is that Jamie Simonoff went on Shark Tank in 2013, and he completely bombed. Oh, okay. He did not get any deal. No one invested in his idea. And this is what's shocking. His idea was a Lamborghini, right? His idea was incredible. It's literally on millions of doorbells. A couple of months later, Shaq invested in his idea. Richard Branson invested in idea. And then a few years later, Amazon acquired it. Why is it that amazing idea? He went into the tank and no one wanted to buy it. It's because he made some colossal cue mistakes when he was pitching, which undermined his credibility. So the very first thing you should never do when you're pitching is accidentally use the question inflection. If you watch Jamie Simonoff's pitch, I have a link to it on my website, which you're welcome to check out. So if you watch Jamie Simonoff's pitch, the very first phrases he uses, he goes up at the end of his sentence. So when we use a question inflection, we go up at the end of our sentence, like yeah. it's a question. Yeah. We know this is a un subconscious cue of doubt. And we don't like people who doubt their own ideas because it makes us want to doubt their ideas. So Jamie, in the first few seconds of his pitch, he said, he does this. He goes, <clears throat> it's Jamie here to pitch. Oh. I think he gave away his competence in the first 10 seconds of that pitch because he was basically saying, I'm not really sure who I am and why I'm here. So you shouldn't be sure either. And that's a very, very interesting subconscious cue that we, it's called the vocal first impression. And we take the first 10 seconds of someone's vocal power very seriously. Oh, interesting. So, um, so when it comes to, uh, you know, pitching, do you think it's important to be to, to show confidence and show that energy and enthusiasm? Okay, that's, that's very important. Yes. So what's really important is not accidentally giving away your nerves. And here's where it happens for entrepreneurs. Here is where I see pitches go wrong. I will see my entrepreneurs. I love, I love doing pitch analysis, pitch makeovers. So I, they're, they're doing great. They, they're, they have a great script. They're hitting their slides. They're showing that upward hockey stick chart, right? They're doing a really good job. And then they get to a number, a price, amount of users, a budget, a timeline, and they give away all their confidence by asking it. So they're like, you know, our projections for the next year are going to be really solid. We're really excited about the growth and we're hoping for 500,000 users. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when you do that, what research shows, and this is research-based, is when the brain hears a question inflection used on what should be a statement, the brain literally switches from going to listening into scrutinizing. The brain recognizes, wait a minute, why did they ask that? And so they're literally turning on the part of their brain that's meant to doubt you. Why? Liars typically use the question inflection. So another big study that we did was we analyzed lie to, we analyzed uh, lie to me videos. So we asked people to lie to us on camera and we had them tell two truths and a lie. And we noticed often, not always, but often they question flexion the lie. They're literally asking, do you believe me? So, so someone would say, um, I'm from Los Angeles. I love dogs and I'm a vegetarian. Hmm. And that would give it away because we know this. So when people are pitching and this happened on Shark Tank, this happens so often when I hear um, anyone sharing their ideas, they get to a number that's kind of fuzzy or they get to a price that they're worried about. They're worried it's too high. Yeah. And so they ask for 3 million. I'd like to raise a, a fund of 3 million. 
Does that sound good with you? What do you think? I'm not so sure. (laughs) When you ask your number, you are begging people to negotiate with you. You're basically saying, I'm not sure of this number, neither should you. And so in sales calls, whenever we track sales calls, I know when someone's going to get pushback on their price, when they're going to get negotiated, when they're going to get a no, not be able to close the sale when they ask their price. It's because you're telling them you shouldn't be confident in this number. Mm, Interesting. And, um, you know, what what sort of visual cues uh, should I portray through my clothes, you know, especially, you know, Mm. since I've gone back to office and started meeting up people, uh, <laughs> what, what advice would you give to me? So, um, by the way, I feel bad. I did not actually define cues for everyone. So cues <laughs> are the social signals that humans send to each other. And there are four different kinds. And you just asked about one of the kinds. So the first one is uh, nonverbal, body okay. language, posture, facial expressions, gesture. The second one is vocal. So our inflection, our pace, our cadence, our volume, like the question inflection. The third one is verbal. So the words we use, the syntax we use, by the way, that's the third one. Nonverbal and vocal actually tend to be much more important for our warmth and competence. And the last one, which you just mentioned, is our imagery. The colors we wear, the clothes we wear, the fonts we use. Yes, even fonts send off different cues. Um, What's behind us in our background on our video calls, what we're holding in our profile pictures, the ornaments or props or objects on our websites and brochures and in our logos. Those are all essential cues performing our impression. So with clothing, luckily, there is no right or wrong answer. This all has to do with what's A, going to make you feel most comfortable, but also B, what neural maps do you want to trigger? So for example, for today, I wanted to wear a red shirt. For those of you who can't see me, I'm in a Q's red shirt. And actually, I had this red shirt made. I asked someone to make this shirt for me, and I sent them the very specific red that I use on the cover of my book. Why? I am trying to look congruent. Right. If I'm talking about cues, I want you to associate cues red. Right. And that's literally the entire copy of the book with my shirt. That also makes me feel kind of alive and on and energetic. So you want to think about what are the colors that cue the right or trigger the right kind of um, associations. Interesting. And, uh, you know, is is this some uh, cue which people should use if they want to improve their, their relationships? Uh, yeah, with the partners or with the, with the colleagues and their friends. Yes. So when we think about cues, there are warmth cues, there are competence cues, right? So if we're talking about the two sides, warmth cues, highly trustworthy, collaborative, open, competence cues, get it done, powerful, capable. There are charisma cues that are so good at the balance of both. And then lastly, there are danger zone cues. Danger zone cues are the ones that are negative, fear, shame, anger, liars use them. For couples, warmth cues win. Why? When we're with our partner, we want to feel full openness, full trust, full encouragement and warmth. So here are my, some of my favorite. I'll do some nonverbal warmth cues. So um, some of my favorites as a triple nod. So a slow triple nod, a one, two, three, is a universal signal of openness and camaraderie. Now, in some cultures, I know in Pakistan, India, and Bulgaria, nodding is a little bit different. So <laughs> you think about nodding differently for cultural cues. Um, but typically, a nod of encouragement, uh, telling someone, please keep going, dig deeper, is a sign of I'm listening, I'm showing. You also can do a head tilt. So if you're showing someone that I'm, I'm hearing you, I'm listening, I'm taking it all in, I slightly tilt my head to the side. That's a universal signal of I'm listening. I'm exposing my ear. 
I want to hear more. You'll notice even dogs will do that when they're trying to listen. They like tilt their ear up. So not that I want you to go that far, but if you're trying to encourage your partner to open up that you're listening, adding a little head tilt is a beautiful way to show that you're listening. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan. Uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Super interesting. And, you, you know, what did one what was the writing process? Uh, especially you oh. could have written, written the book during the times of COVID. Uh, you know, any, any, any advice on people who want to <laughs> write during these times? Yes. Yeah, so, so there's, there's kind of two aspects to writing a book, which is the business side and the content side. So I always like to start with the content side, which means you have such a good idea that it has to be a book. And that means it's not short enough where it could be a medium article or a small ebook, but it's so massive that you need 200 pages to truly convince someone of the idea and actually help them. So first, you want to find content that's so perfectly fit for the book medium. For example, I have content that I teach on video only. Like it would not work in a book. It's perfect for my YouTube channel. Like I do analyses of celebrities, for example, where I'll break down the body language cues of different celebrities. It's not great in a book. I can do a little bit of it, but it's not nearly as dynamic as a video. So your content should be perfect for the mode of a book as well as you need a full 200 pages to explain it. If you can do it in 50, it should be an article, right? Mm. If you need a video, it should be a YouTube video or a video course. Second is the business side. So, you know, you're, I, I love um, self-publishing. I've actually self-published my own books before I traditionally published. I like traditional, pu- traditional publishing, although it's a much longer game. So you have to make a decision. Do you want to do something fast, self-publish, put it on Amazon Kindle Direct, KDP, or do you want to go the traditional route? If you want to go the traditional route, you need to have an agent who will help you negotiate your book deal. Um, my agent's amazing. His name is David Fugate. And then you, you want to look for the right publishing house. You know, I work with Portfolio and I love them. Why? Is because Portfolio is specializes in business books. So I was looking at other um, imprints and they didn't make sense because I didn't want to be in romance. I didn't want to be, you know, in, in science necessarily. I really wanted to hit that business audience. So The other mistake that I think a lot of authors make is they don't know where their book would live. I would find books similar to the ones you like, and those are the publishers you want to go after. So super interesting. Uh, I just quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? My favorite business book, (sighs) The Lean Startup, pretty classic by Eric Ries. I love an MVP. We do everything in our business based on very, very lean operations and trying to do minimum viable products. So it's a lean startup. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. And, uh, you know, if you could go back in time when you started writing the book, Qs, what is the one thing you would have focused on doing anything differently? I think I probably would have gotten more help more quickly. I ended up hiring an amazing research assistant, Vanessa Newell, who helped me a lot, but I should have had her on earlier. We're, there is more than 200 citations in the book. And so just parsing 30 pages of citations to get the nuggets out of them was, it took months longer than I thought. So I would have gotten more help more quickly and that, that, that's impressive you know i was doing my master's and i could come up just with 10 10 citations so that's that's pretty impressive uh and what's your favorite online tool <laughs> oh my favorite online tool definitely grammarly 
I pay for Grammarly Pro. I'm obsessed with it. Not only does it make my writing better, it actually helps me with my tone. So I pay for Grammarly Business and don't worry, they're not a sponsor. I just love it. Um, and they like help me be, they help me, they're like, they'll help me be more energetic, more warm. So they actually add tone suggestions to your writing, which is like amazingly helpful. So that tool has just been a game changer for my written communication. Got it. We'll put that in the show notes. And uh, Vanessa, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about your book use? Oh, yes. Well, I would love to hear from you. Uh, Cues is available wherever books are sold. It's available internationally on Amazon or any uh, bookstore. And then um, you can find me at sciencepeople.com. If you're interested, by the way, in your warmth or competence, if, if you're curious where you fall, you're welcome to take our charisma quiz. It's free, sciencepeople.com slash charisma. And it's it's like a, a diagnostic that will take you through a bunch of questions to figure out where are you in warmth and competence. So it's kind of a fun little exercise you can do. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Vanessa, thank you so much for taking the time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.